Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome everyone joining us online and in person. I want to give you a moment to just bow your heads with me as we practice some silence and solitude as we prepare to hear from the Word of God to allow the Spirit of God to grip our hearts and to speak directly to us. So let me give you a moment to center yourself. Let's exhale. Just let all the automatic ruminating thoughts that are weighing heavy on your mind and heart and bring it to the feet of the Lord. Take every thought captive. Inhale. The promise of the presence of God and His transcending peace when we supplicate it to Him. Jesus calling August 20th, Sarah Sarah Young. I am a God who heals. I heal broken bodies, broken minds, broken hearts, broken lives, broken relationships. My presence has immense healing powers. You cannot live close to me without experiencing some degree of healing. However, it is also true but you have not because you ask not. You receive that healing that flows naturally from my presence, whether you seek it or not, but there is more, much more available to those who ask. All God's people pray, amen. Let's put this picture up here. So as you guys know, uh, my wife and I and our youngest son, Josh, we just came back from vacation, came back from Japan, And one of the things interesting about Japan and the taxi culture was that um, there there was Uber, which was much more expensive. Unlike Korea, Korea's rates of taxi fares, Uber fares, so affordable. I was very impressed. But one of the things I was um, kind of shocked by was the cars. Uh, the taxi drivers were, you know, using as taxis, and they were very old, like the Toyota Camrys from like the 1990s. Um, Some were maybe 95, 98, um, and they were not really that comfortable in the back, and usually the the cab looked just like that. And usually the person driving it was really, you know, like a grandfather, age, senior, uh, very hospitable, very nice. But as we got in one cab ride, uh, he didn't really speak English that well, but he said, can you please, looked back at us right in the eye and said, put your seatbelt on, please, all three of you. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm not that type that puts seatbelts in the back of my car. I mean, who, who, who are? Raise your hand if you are. Yes, Stu, I know you are. Some of you uh, nerds. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, don't, I didn't really like that. And, but in Josh especially, because this, this ride, I think, to where we were going was about 48 minutes or so. And Josh really didn't like it because it was really tight. And it was kind of tight in the back. And so we were kind of scrunched up together. We put it on. But as he, you know, went into the highway, we realized why he said, put your seatbelt on. Because it was scary. He was going really fast. And, you know, it's like one of those old cars. You don't know the suspension. It's going to work. You don't know. The turns were really sharp. And really, I was really scared. I, was, I started praying in tongues. I started praying to the Lord to save my life. And that's why he said, put your seatbelt on. In the same way, when you come to the, this admonishment the Apostle Paul gives the church of Ephesus, in his final remark to the church of Ephesus, he also gives an admonishment. Now, the difference of this analogy is that we put our seatbelts on when we drive or ride the calves because impact is possible. Meaning no one is deliberately trying to crash into you, right? No one is trying to kill you on purpose. Because that would be what? War. The difference between putting a, a seatbelt on versus putting your armor on, which is, Paul says here, let's go to the text. When, when Paul says here, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, put on the full armor of God. And, I mean, if you were coming to this book, this letter Paul is giving to the church in Ephesus in Asia Minor, very metropolitan, highly commerced, highly, you know, populated, just like here in New York, and you read it carefully, why is Paul saying, not put on your seatbelt, not that an accident is possible or it might be dangerous, Paul says, put on the armor because danger is imminent. He says, put on the armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So first, when you read this text carefully, you go, well, Paul is in prison. We read that in the call and response. Paul says you can sometimes mistake the resistance in your life. Tell someone next to you, resistance. It could be physical resistance, emotional resistance, but resistance, trouble that enters your life and go, that's just materialistic or natural, naturalism. If you're a materialist, you only see in natural phenomenon as the probable explanation for why you're going through what you're going through. Paul says, I'm not in chains because of the Roman Empire. I'm in chains because of a spiritual reality and a foe more treacherous and ageless than you could ever imagine. And one of the things I've seen in the church doing ministry since I was 18 to now, which is 25 years, you can do the math. But I still get carded, by the way. I look pretty young, though. Um, 
let me tell you one thing. Most people are, I don't know why this is the case, but most believers are ignorant to spiritual warfare. And most people always ask, why, why does this happen to me? Why do bad things happen to me? I'm just trying to do my best. You know, and then they blame God for it. It's almost like they're, the believers for, I don't know, a decade, you're going to church for a long time, aren't aware that you are living in a war. A spiritual conflict that will not end until the Lord returns or the elements all, basically the universe busts. It begins and then it ends. People are ignorant. And a lot of people, a lot of times in the church, are asleep to this spiritual warfare. Paul says, not, not, your, our struggle, the trouble in your life, not always the case, but is not against flesh and blood, but against what? Spiritual forces. And we forget that. Next, if you look up, particularly in Hollywood, example of horror movies, the phenomenon of like the Conjuring series, which grossed ridiculous amount of money for people who don't believe in God. But, I mean, do I really need to argue and persuade you that evil exists on this planet? I think it's pretty self-explanatory that inequity, evil, just look at Ukraine. It was bombed the other day. Or just the injustices. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of refugees on the streets of New York living on the street. I mean, you don't need to be a rocket scientist or a genius or even a religious person to understand that there is a dark being or dark forces at work in the world. I don't have to sell that to you. Then you would be a completely a materialist, which I, I feel like is a denial of visceral reality, the things we experience in our lives. One of the things I had to learn quickly when I first entered ministry, let's put this picture up. This is 2007 with me and my firstborn son. Whole Foods is still here because no one could get rid of Whole Foods. People are addicted to the organic stuff. But I remember coming here in the city over a decade ago. We sat on Union Square Park steps, looked at Whole Foods, and this is Nathan when he was, I think, I don't know, five, or, or maybe, maybe less than that. I don't know. I don't remember his age anymore. But um, one of the things that, that we had to learn immediately was entering a territory, meaning this this church wasn't here, lives weren't changed, people didn't hear the gospel, weren't even, didn't even secure a theater here. Actually, we're the, one of the first ever churches in theaters from AMC. We're known as grandfathered in, in the contract. They even congratulated us recently. But we didn't know how hard it would be coming into the city, trying to start a church because we underestimated the resistance we would feel. Here, re 
read with me here what Paul says in this text as he ends this chapter. He says in verse 18, And I pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, Paul says, to the church of Ephesus, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. So he's in jail. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. You know, scholars debate who the greatest Christian of all time is, the GOAT conversation. You know, we talk about the Michael Jordan conversation and the LeBron conversation. Well, I don't even know why I'm bringing up LeBron. But you know what I mean, the GOAT conversation. Paul is discouraged writing this letter to the church of Ephesus. And in the end of his life, if you read the epistles, Paul is filled with a malaise of darkness around him because Christians are being torched in the Colosseum, being eaten by lions. Paul doesn't know if the gospel will continue on. All he says in the book of Philippians is that he had fought the good fight, that he finished the race. But he died in many ways discouraged, not to know that he was actually writing the Bible. It wasn't canonized on the 392 AD with all the bishops and the Pope together. So if Paul is discouraged, the goat is discouraged. I mean, if Michael Jordan was discouraged, playing a game against an enemy so treacherous, then you should pay attention. That should be two things. One, you should be alert to who your enemy is. Second, it should encourage you. Tell someone it should encourage you. You're like, how should it encourage me? Well, because if you're you're discouraged in your faith, that you felt what Paul felt. And you felt the resistance. And that resistance you were feeling is because you're moving in the right direction. But let me just tell you, this enemy hasn't died. It's ageless. and has supernatural powers. And we're still fighting the same foe. That should tell you something very important about how you apply this text into our lives. Stop asking the question, why? Why, why? Why is this happening? Why didn't I get this? Why all this trouble in my life when I'm trying to move into the right direction? If you're asking that question, you really don't know what this text is saying. So why does Paul say put on the fur armor of God or put any armor on at all? First lesson we learn is what? Because, read it with me. What? Yes. We're at war. Why is the, why are you being shot at? Well, you're in, this is a battle. 
we're at war. In war, you shoot missiles, you shoot guns, you shoot bombs. If you have an atomic weapon, you use it to end all wars. This conflict will not stop. It's still ongoing from the time of Christ to now. The most interesting about the demonic phenomenon in the New Testament and the Conjuring series and all the demonic kind of manifestations all around the world, whether you're unaware of it or not, it, the casting out demons is a phenomenon that you cannot find in any ancient literature. You see possession as a common phenomenon. And then you see propitiation, the version in classic novels being sacrificed to appease a god of a territory. You do see that in ancient literature, but you do not see demonic powers being cast out by anyone. You appease the demonic powers in ancient cultures, in ancient literature, which are all these kind of a culture based on. But only when, in the time of Jesus, the most interesting phenomenon is that this person enters. John says the light enters the darkness, and these demonic powers are now being cast out and afraid. We're at war. Your Christian life and my Christian life won't make any sense until you know you're at war. Why you're getting attacked, why you're getting discouraged, why you're being resisted. If you don't understand through the lens of war, then you're just going to be asking the question why and get frustrated and blame God, you know, blame the person next to you. It's because this person's petty, that's why. It's because this person did something stupid, that's why. No, the macro picture is our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're at war. Okay, so let's move that. That's the first reason why Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Second, I think this particular word Paul uses, you should pay attention to. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? The devil's what? Schemes. The word schemes. Meaning, not all things, not all things, always are what, uh, what it appears to be. Some things are, but the way these, the demonic power manifests is not through simply physical manifestations like war and natural disasters or things like that. But Paul says the battlefield, if you read carefully, it's... Paul says he felt discouraged. He wanted to preach the gospel boldly, but he was getting discouraged. He says, pray for me that I preach the gospel as I should. Why does he need anyone's help to preach the gospel? Is he the greatest Christian of all time? Or one of them in the top five at least? Because of the resistance. It was so great. But Paul says, schemes. And then, after he says, put on the form of God, in verse 13, look at it, he goes... Therefore, he says it again. He says, finally, in verse 10 and verse 13, he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And he says, after you have done everything to stand, what does verse 14 say? He says, stand again. I am already standing, Paul. He goes, no, keep standing. 
Don't let your guards down. Stand firm then with the belt of truth, right? He's saying stand, continue to stand. So the onslaught is very powerful, but it's also creative. Because the enemy moves in ways in the mind. That's how we get discouraged. It's a cognitive warfare. So, as you know, after Japan, we went to Korea. Let's put this picture up. It's my first time. That's, my, that's where the town I grew up. It's called the Gold Neighborhood. It's called Kumodong. It has gold in it. But it has no gold around the area. But, um, and so for 35 years, I longed to eat this chicken. The last memory I have with my mom and brother while growing in Korea is eating something you call this fried chicken, tongdak, where they double fry the batter. And they literally try to kill you. It's so bad for you. And, um, but for 35 years, I haven't eaten this chicken. And I, and I took a vow after I ate it, actually, just two weeks ago. I will not eat fried chicken in America again. Yeah, for a year. I'm going back next year. <laughs> my, my son's like, you want to bet? And he's trying to get me to eat fried chicken every day. But I'm like, no. Because this fried chicken fell from heaven for me. But we go to try to procure this chicken. So we go after church on, on Monday, and guess what, the resistance? It's closed. This fried chicken place is closed on Mondays. I don't know what's wrong, what's wrong with them. Closed. We took a cab ride all the way from, you know, 30-minute ride, they're closed. So difficult to get this chicken, 35 years longing, denied, detoured, delayed. We have to bind that in Jesus' name to get there. Tuesday we go back. The chicken's there. And it was the only store in all of Korea, Seoul, where I found, they're, they're a store after my own heart because they had Coke Zero in one liter in Korea with the fried chicken. I was like, Lord, put this store in heaven for me. And so we, we get the one liter, so we're, we go back to the hotel, we're opening it up, and I taste the chicken, and it's everything I ever, I ever longed for in my life. It was the best taste, I'm not exaggerating, it's the best tasting chicken I've ever had. And it tasted just like what I had when I was seven. My brother used to deliver newspapers and he used to buy this on payday. That was the only time I ever loved my brother. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I get a phone call from the United States. It's an Uber driver. It's 2.30 a.m. in the U.S. My son is using my account to order food. When 35 years of longing is in front of me, and my wife is going frantic, pick up the phone. What if he's hungry? I'm like, it's 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. He doesn't even need to eat that. And why is he using my account? Because pick up the phone. I, I have chicken juice in my hand. I have things in my face. She goes, pick up the phone. 
take care of your son. I'm like, what about me? <laughs> so I pick up the Uber driver. So I can't really see your house. I'm like, what time is it over there? He goes, it's 2.30 a.m. I'm like, what are you driving at this time? And then I call Nathan. He goes, I already got it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so my wife and I, we get into this huge fight. I can't believe you. She goes, she goes, I can't believe you. Your son is starving at home. He is not starving at home. It's 2.30 a.m. in the morning. And then Josh, he puts his headphone on. I know what this is like. <laughs> Put his headphones on. He's like, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. That's it. This is over for me. And you know, he goes, I know how long this is going to take. And then my wife says, what do you want? And I say, I just want to eat my chicken. That's all I wanted for 35 years. That's, he goes, she goes, oh, I get it. You want your chicken. <laughs> Spiritual warfare, especially when you want to eat your chicken, comes at the most unopportune times. But the enemy will strike at the core of your heart. It's funny, but it's true at the moments of greatest triumph or greatest joy or greatest longing. If you had a journal in your life, if you look at how many times you fought with your partner or your friends or your family, it would be in, on the most joyous occasions. Those conflicts, those resistance comes because the enemy's greatest heart is to steal joy. Jesus says, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And here, what happens is pettiness takes over. And now you're fighting something that doesn't even make sense to steal joy. I almost had tears. Of, this is all my chicken. It's all I want. It's all I've ever wanted. Honestly, after I ate the chicken and saw it, I was like, let's go home. I'm done. But that's how the schemes of the enemy work. See, if you look into your life, protect and be discerning at the moments of greatest joy, greatest breakthrough. That's when the enemy strikes. Because if you read this text very carefully, why does Paul tell you put on the armor? Not just because we're at war, but because of this reason. Second lesson we learn is that Evil is both what? Sophisticated and judicious. Not, it, this enemy is, the evil one is, has, is tri, it has a triple threat. Not only is he treacherous, nefarious, but he's sophisticated, he's complex and judicious, meaning he is skilled in what he does. From, if you look at the evil one's analogy that the Bible sort of gives you in 66 books, the evil one is painted as a snake. Middle of the scriptures in the New Testament, he's a lion. And then in the end, he becomes a dragon. Small, middle, to huge. Because the culmination of church history, what we're fighting against is an enemy that's not only treacherous, but sophisticated and judicious. And let me tell you, he, he's faced better Christians than all of us. Tell someone next to you, he faced someone better than you already. None of us are going to be better than Paul. I already know that. 
And Paul was discouraged. So if Paul was discouraged, you are going to be discouraged. And that's why we have to pray more than Paul. Because our enemy already seen every scenario, every tactical advantage. We, we might even have youth or zeal as our strength. But, but after this battle for years and years, it's a battle of attrition too. It wears you down. You just want to give in. Jesus calls Satan the God of this world. Tell someone next to you, the God of this world. God, Jesus is not the God of this world. He's the God of the universe, the God of heaven, but he is not the God of this world. This world, now it's occupied by the evil one. So if you're preaching the gospel, you're sharing your faith with your friends, you're invading his territory. I don't know about you, but if, if I was in the subway and someone tried to harm me or take my phone, their arm would break off. You go, what about turning the other cheek? That doesn't apply when someone's trying to hurt your family or you. That's self-defense. I will break your arm, and I won't feel bad about it. You come to my house, try to take my chicken. <laughs> you come in and you barge in, you try to take my chicken, or you try to t hurt my family or my TV, I will kill you. And, and, and a lot of believers don't understand, oh, it should be easy to witness to our friends, tell people about Jesus, bring them to church. You think Satan is going to let you take over millennia, years of work, of territories, of lineages, of generational curses, just because you want to share the gospel? And he goes, okay, here, take them. He's not going to forfeit that work. So expect discouragement, expect resistance, because when you enter the kingdom of darkness, you're the one invading. He's just defending his territory. He's the God of this world. And he's sophisticated and judicious, very, very skilled. And he will strike at the heart. My question to you today is, how many of us have fallen and been deceived by the accuser of the brethren, by the evil one, about some of the distressing things that are taking place in our lives. Today, you need to recognize it. Everything will make sense if you understand we're at war. Everything will make more sense if you know the evil one is scheming to steal, kill, and destroy from you. Take the joy of the Lord from you. Amen? This is what C.S. Lewis says to summarize what we're talking about in Ephesians 6 in mere Christianity enemy occupied territory that is what this world is Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed you might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage when you go to church, you are really listening in to the secret wireless from our friends. That is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. Every single inch that we've gained, put, put our pictures up here in these baptisms, it could look like the highlights 
were effortless or seamless, but let me tell you, every advantage, every inch we gain in the territories, I have a scar somewhere. You probably have scars too of in your own witness. And that won't stop. It won't ever get easier. Because war is never easy. War is brutal. It hurts. But there are victories. And these pictures are the victories we have. Children getting baptized and dedicated to the Lord. Multi-generations, second, third generation believers. Some pictures here are first generation believers. From moving from the kingdom of darkness to light. But today, I want to encourage you in your discouragement. Encourage you in your pain. Encourage you. Maybe you're losing your mind. As the enemy tries to come strike at the heart of your joy. It's worth it. To bring the power of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, the good news to the world. Because this campaign of sabotage that Jesus begun 2,000 years ago is still ongoing. And he's inviting us to listen in. Amen? Let's all stand and pray together. Today, will you lift your hands with me to the Lord? I want you to give the Lord your fears, your discouragement, your hurts from trying to walk in the path of the kingdom. Because if anyone understands wounds and pain for mission, it's Jesus. He's the wounded healer. make this our prayer.
Father, we want to come before you this afternoon. We want to pray. For some of the trouble in our lives, help us make sense of the discouragement. Make sense of the resistance. Heal the places, God, that it's hurt and wounded and afraid. Give us courage. Jesus said that in John 10:10, I have come to give you life to the full. But the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. As we close today, here's the main reason why the church, the ecclesia, exists in a community. Because I told you already, right, like, like us individually, we're like a Twinkie to, to Satan. You're like chum change. There's no way you could defeat the snake, the lion, the wolf, and the dragon on your own. And this is the, the idiocy of Christian formation in America. A lot of Christians live isolated. Struggling alone, struggling internally, cognitively alone, and then you get some help in counseling with your counselor. That's become not taboo, and it's, it's getting healthier. But the evil one will still weave through. But when you look at John 10.10, 10, the passage, that's gonna, I'm going to be preaching on that in the next few weeks. But... When Jesus talks to the disciples and the people of that town that he's in, in John 10, 10, the imagery is that people didn't have enough resources because some shepherds only had three sheep or four sheep. Some had 10 or 12. So the town got their resources together and created a sheep pen where all the sheep come for the night. And there's a watchman that they, that, that's paid and that's what the church is. We're all here. We're looking after each other. And we're submitting our lives to the great shepherd, the good shepherd. Because if you try to fight the enemy alone, you'll be devoured. But together, 
we are strong. So I want to pray today that the Holy Spirit give you faces and places in this community that you can turn to to fight evil together, to be encouraged in your discouragement, to have people pray for you when you're discouraged or attacked, but you won't do it alone. Amen? So Father, I want to pray for everyone here today. I want to pray, God, that we become that community that look after each other, pray for one another, understanding that, we're under, that we are at war. And at times, the battlefield of the mind is so difficult. And why, Father, we want to pray that we help each other through the rising rates of suicide ideation, depression, burnout, and all the onslaughts and all the other pressures in this life that we help each other get through. That this fellowship would fight evil together and our discouragement together as we put on the full armor of God as a community like the Church of Ephesus. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever and evermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Happy Sunday! <laughs> My name is Haley and I'm a member here at 180 Church and I will be sharing some community news with you. First off, let's talk about how we can give. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully. Admission is free, but mission isn't. If you're a visitor here with us today, we welcome you to our service, and there's no financial obligation to give, but if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods above. Our next announcement is all about all the ways you can connect with God and others in our community. We have our Bible reading group, 180 BRG. You can join us at any time to read the Bible. Feel free to follow along and feed your soul with the Word of God. We also have a number of other ways to stay connected, including our church's Facebook page, Dr. Sammy's Twitter page, our YouTube page, and our various Instagram handles. We are live every Sunday for service through YouTube, so you can always watch and re-watch the sermons and stay connected with us. Also, please note that we will be having a remote service next Sunday on August 27th. So we won't be meeting in the theater next week, um, we're going to meet remotely on YouTube, so we'll see you online. Next, we have small groups. Small groups are a great way to connect with others in the community and go deeper into the message. We have various groups for different stages. Some meet on Zoom and some meet in person. If you need any additional info, please speak to any of the greeters in 180 shirts. Next, we have resources. 
We have plenty of resources that are available for you to purchase at the cafe to help you connect with God daily. It's a great way to share the uh, gospel as well. We also have a couple more books out there right now because of our current series, Victory Over Darkness and Spiritual Direction. So make sure you check those out. We also want to share that A Holy Haunting is now available locally. So A Holy Haunting, yeah! Woo! A Holy Haunting is available in local bookstores, McNally Jackson in Brooklyn and Strand in Manhattan. And this is really exciting. So if you're around the neighborhood or you want to make a trip out there to check out, check it out, please do so. Um, let's pray for many more people to encounter this book and experience the love of Christ and that they can come home. Uh, now, while you're at the cafe, you can also pick up some 180 merch. There's a collection of sweatshirts and shirts. All purchases are based on an honor system and can be purchased the same ways mentioned before. Are you feeling in need of prayer? Now take a minute to pause and pray. There is power in prayer and you never have to pray alone. You can send an email to prayer at 180church.tv. There will be a team praying for you on the other end and everything is confidential. Pastor Lydia created an instrumental album called A Glimpse from 180 Studios. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. It's a great way to recenter ourselves with Christ to some peaceful worship songs, and you can unwind and exhale and take in the presence of God. Next, we will have Day in the Sun. So our next Day in the Sun is the college party on September 24th. It was um, the 17th, but the date has changed, so please take note of that. Um, it's on the 24th, and it will be located at, lo sorry, located at the Great Hill in Central Park at noon. So wear your college gear and represent. Um, remember to fill out the RSVPs when you see them on your email inbox. And um, let's pray for beautiful weather, and don't forget to invite your friends and family to this event. They might be just one invite away from experiencing God and life change. Also, we will be having our last day in the sun for this year on October 22nd. So please mark it in your calendars. If you haven't already, we're collecting a one-time donation of $100 so for all the days in the sun to cover the cost. So please do that if you haven't. Uh, next, we have our 180 retreat. It's coming up. It's so much fun. I hope you guys all RSVP, RSVP'd. Um, it will take place on the Labor Day weekend, September 2nd to the 4th. That's a Saturday to a Monday. The location will be at a residence inn in Secaucus, Meadowlands. Uh, please remember to RSVP. And if you can't find the email, please ask any of the greeters or talk to someone from the cafe and they will help you get connected. Uh, finally, we are looking for volunteers to help serve in many different areas in our community. First, we have the cafe or bookstore. Come help wake people up spiritually and literally. Um, Sunday school, come help our littlest members get to know the love of Jesus. We have our techies, come build, help us build really cool stuff online. And the greeters, come help all feel welcome and be the friendly faces of our community. Please see any of the greeters in 180 gear or anyone in the cafe and they will help you get plugged in. Those are all of our announcements we have today. 